Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've worked so hard for these moments, and we we didn't want to leave here with the bitter taste. Um, you know, we still have a lot of baseball in our minds to play, so... That next opportunity, it's huge for us. Uh, you know, and you look up and down our lineup, we still have a lot of young players. And for them to have that experience of playing in Omaha and then to um, kind of position themselves to catch their breath, uh, have another practice, and get into the flow of this tournament. I know in 18, we played the opening game. Uh, we lost that one. Then we had to come back and lose this bracket. And it seemed like... We were in and out of Omaha, and I think it benefits our team if we could just get in the flow of this tournament and understand we can play with anybody in the country. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, Statesman Sports Columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first. On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 227, brought to you by Hook'em.com, our good friends at Bud Light. I'm Cedric Golden, joined by my boy, the Duck, Kirk Bowles, and Duck. There ain't going to be no two in Q in <laughs> Omaha. The Texas Longhorns are in business, brother. Two in Q. Q is not on the menu for the Longhorns. You're exactly right. And that, that was such an impressive win over Tennessee, uh, eight to four, but they're down two to nothing. I mean, this is a team member trailed half an inning in five regional and super regional games, half an inning. It was cake. It was cake. It was a cake walk, and they they just were not pressed. And I think I was a little worried because they didn't have the dish fault crowd behind them, and they weren't playing Fairfield and Southern in South Florida and Tennessee is a dangerous, really good 50 win team. And when they got down to nothing and, and we're watching that and their bats are swinging their first pitch swinging up and Tristan's in that strike zone. He, he doesn't walk people. So they, no. they're going to get pitches to hit. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was, I was scared the longer might get down five, nothing or something. Tennessee just gets go crazy on a roll and Texas starts pressing, but they didn't do it. And I love how they they came back so fast after Tennessee scored two. What did Texas scored three? That was EK's bomb, wasn't it? Oh yeah, that was EK's bomb and huge hit, huge hit, huge hit. And the voice you heard at the top of the show was David Pierce saying, "Duck, that they're settling in to Omaha. It's a pretty young team, bro. And it the is. way they started out with by by striking out twenty one times against Mississippi State." Uh, I was like, man, is the stage too big for these young bucks? But then they found their sea legs, Doug. Mm-hmm. Eric Kennedy uh, hits a big three-run bomb to put him up 3-2. And, um, you know, we're going to get to the defense in a minute. But that that was the signature play offensively of that game because it kind of let us know that Texas had arrived. Look how big was that home run? 
Oh my God. I mean, you're, you're sure not a two nothing deficit. Tristan Stevens is clearly not on his game. Tennessee's got a dangerous, dangerous offense and uh, we're feeling it. And, and it was two outs, you know, we got two on base, uh, two outs. And if they get Kennedy out, you know, Tennessee's coming right back to bat. It's two nothing lead. They're feeling good about stuff. And it just ignited everything. It just said to Tennessee, hey, we're here. And we ain't going away quietly. And then it was on. You talk about – we talked about that offense, Doug, but Cy Erdogan, the catcher, when I tell you that was one of the biggest performances by a Texas catcher in College World Series history because of what was at stake and the bases are loaded uh, in the third inning and they hit a chopper to Cam Williams, who's normally pretty sure with his arm. He throws wide of the plate to try to get the force out. Silas Ardwan with his foot on the plate, backhands the ball, and guns Gilbert out at first for a twin killing. That's when I knew that Texas was probably um, going to win the game because if they can wiggle off that hook, uh, then anything was possible. Tennessee could have broken the game open at that point, Doug. Absolutely could. And it was a one-hopper throw from Cam Williams. He short-armed it, and he one-hopped it, and that skips by him, you know, goes to the backstop. They get another run. The rally's continuing. Their spirit could have been broken. Uh, you know, I've, I've been going to Omaha since 1975, and I, I'm going to say that is, if not the, it's one of the three greatest defensive plays I've ever seen by Longhorn. It was wow. with, with what was riding on the line. I mean, I really think that ball gets by Silas Ardwan. They lose that game yesterday. I think our, it was kind of hanging in the balance. Don't our, you? Our, our conversation's a lot different. Let's hear what Eric Kennedy said about that play. Hey, Kay, uh, I know you hit that bomb and you guys had some timely hitting today, but what did those two double plays in the third and fourth inning do for the spirit in that dugout? Oh, they were huge. That double play, I believe that we turned that the half inning after the home run. I mean, they had bases loaded, no outs, and just that changed the whole momentum of the whole inning and pretty much the rest of the game. That could have gotten away from us real, real easily, but Cam made a great play, and then Cy with a great backhand. Not a lot of catchers would be able to do that. And then getting the guy at first, you know, they, they kind of seemed like they were starting to get back in it, but that kind of sucked the life out of them, and then we were able to take advantage of that later. Um, you know, we just played great defense, and it's it awesome to see us suck the life out of their offense. So, Doug, that keeps them alive. And then an inning later, they turn a, another great double play. Mitchell Daly gets a ball that almost got by him at second base, wheels, toads, throws it to second to shortstop Trey Faltini, who's just money in the bank with that with that pivot and relay to first first base. And that was that was with the youngster Tanner Witt uh, in for Tristan Stevens on the mound. And how about Tanner Witt? Shut it down, Duck. He gave up that first RBI single, but that wasn't his runner. But after that, he three-hit him over five and two-thirds innings. Perfect relief appearance for a guy, for, for, for a roster, for a staff, that could not afford to burn arms uh, knowing they're coming through this loser's bracket. Career-long outing, career-long number of pitches. What was it, like 78? The 
guy was nails. He was just flat out nails. He's our Friday guy next year, Doug. Oh my God, he's, he's our Friday, Friday night guy. starter. Yeah, you and I agree. We, he's a star in the making. I think he's going to be as good as Ty Madden. I really do. He's got star quality written all over him. Got a great changeup. Obviously, he got a damn good fastball. Uh, and now he came of age. You do it at Omaha on this stage. And your career goes to a next level already. And I love how uh, David Pierce was telling us after the game. It's like, you know, I talked to Tanner Witt, and, and Nixon's ready. Nixon wants the ball. And you've got the feeling that Tanner Witt's saying, screw Nixon. This is my game. I knew I, they, they couldn't take him out. And I'm was, not coming out of this game. And exactly. he, was, he, was, he was on fumes there at the end. I was like, he you got to leave him in. You got to leave him in. Got to leave him in. And exactly. this time next year with another another year in the wave room, yeah. and he's going to grow. He's a kid. Yeah. He's 18, Doug. He's right. going to be so much better, so much yeah. readier for this. And oh, yeah. he's already got the mentality that you have to have in a big moment like this. Let's hear what Tanner Witt had to say about his performance. Yeah, Tanner, you just don't show any nerves at all. I mean, can you describe the emotions you're feeling? Do you even know you're pitching in the College World Series as poised as you see? No, definitely. Uh, but, you know, I live for this moment. This is the moment I've always dreamed for. Uh, I love that big, big stage, big atmosphere. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I only get better in those situations because that's what I live for. Duck, I love the I want that ball mentality. I mm -hmm. love that. And that's why I know he's going to be a quality starting pitcher uh, this guy's got a tremendous upside oh he does and you think of a rotation that starts out with tanner witt and pete hansen on friday saturday next year and you know then you got you know quintanilla and and uh, kobe kubachek who's not forgotten you know so and then you got gordon and nixon i mean you, you got some stud arms in there and that's what texas is always going to have and that's why they're still in this thing i mean it is, and it's so interesting. I was talking to Del Conte uh, yesterday, and we were talking about the 21 strikeout game, how embarrassing that was. And even David Pierce said we were humiliated. Mm -hmm. And then, but you remember, they strike out a college World Series record 21 times in one game and still almost won. And still almost won because. A one run game. And, 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 you know, they could have another clutch hit, tie going extra innings, and you might win that game. That shows you how good their pitching and defense is. And I just love the fact that even, even in the midst of that, that they were able to have the tie and run on third base in that first game. Yeah. So they get they get Virginia tonight, 6 o'clock. Um, what do you think has to happen? I, I, You know, at this time, we don't know who he's going to start, but I just felt like he's leaning toward Pete Hansen who only threw a couple of innings in that first game. He's got like, Pete Hansen. Yeah, he's got to start Pete Hansen tonight. I mean, that's, you know, those are your top three pitchers. And Ty's already pitched and Tristan, you know, just pitched. And and, and you know, now Tanner's probably out. If they keep winning, he probably couldn't pitch till you know, maybe Sunday or, or Monday, something like that. So he's kind of spent. But he saved all those other arms in there. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in Pete Hansen and – I don't know about Virginia's pitching staff, but the fact that, you know, the game against the Mississippi State was so critical, you know, the, the, what was his name, Garrity, Griffin mm -hmm. McCarry. I mean, he no-hits them for seven innings. Mississippi State's got the magic going. I think if I'm David Pierce, I would have rather played Mississippi State Thursday because they'd have been down 
and Texas would want payback after the 21 strikeout game. Now they got to beat a Virginia team and then beat Mississippi State twice to get to the championship series. That's going to be tough to do. But Virginia was there pitching a, a Wednesday night pitcher. So that tells you they don't have a lot of pitching depth, I would think. So I'd say it's still looking good for Texas to to go deeper into the tournament, but it's an uphill fight. And they're coming. You know what? They're still alive, and that's all that matters, Doug. It, they're still alive, and they got live arms that haven't even walked onto the field yet. So I, at this point, I'm not gonna pick against them against Virginia no. and uh, Mississippi State. That's that's gonna be fun. I, I really think they beat Virginia tonight. But uh, let's just say this: if they find themselves in the finals this weekend. Uh, they sure are, or whatever. They sure earned it because they've got to go through fire to get there. Only 12 teams have ever won this thing out of the losers bracket. And as you wrote uh, yesterday, you know, Texas was the first one to do it in 1950. So it can be done. And like you said, why not Texas? We've had we've had legendary broadcasters on this show. Uh, well, Jim Nance, Brent Musburger, Kirk Herbstreit, Craig Way. Uh, no pressure. No pressure <laughs> on our next guy, Tony Caridi, longtime voice of the West Virginia football Mountaineers, joins us. Tony, how are you today? I'm wonderful, guys. It's a an honor to be with you. I know each of those guys that you mentioned in some form and fashion, that's some, that's high cotton right there. Those are all great, great broadcasters. Well, we're just tickled as hell to have you, Tony, and appreciate you giving us some time this morning. We're doing our big 12 rundown of uh, the teams, but before we get into West Virginia, just just let our, our, our listeners know a little bit about you. Uh, you weren't born in West Virginia and uh, you're from the long line of Great broadcasters out of Syracuse. I think it's mandatory y'all go to Syracuse, correct? There's been a bunch. Yeah, there's absolutely <laughs> been a bunch of those guys. So real quick, uh, graduated from Syracuse back in 1984, uh, looking for a first job, came to Morgantown thinking I would be here for six months. And now <laughs> we're into year uh, getting ready for 38th season of covering uh, WV football. So it's it's been an wow. amazing, amazing run, but I grew up just outside of Buffalo, New York. So about almost three hours away from Syracuse. And um, it's it's been an amazing, amazingly fun time. 38 seasons broadcasting West Virginia football. And this upcoming season is going to be interesting. Uh, the Mountaineers are – they just seem to be right there on the cusp of threatening uh, the, the, bigger, the bigger dogs like OU in the Big 12. Six and four last year, beat Army in the Liberty Bowl. Under Coach Neil Brown, five and four in the conference to finish sixth. Um, do you think this is the year that they take that step up? And it in the Big Twelve, we have to talk about quarterbacks. Sure. And, and what where, what are we seeing in that quarterback battle between Jared Daigie and the uh, young redshirt freshman 
Garrett Green. Yeah, a lot of good stuff there. So uh, short answer is, I think, here in Neil Brown's third year, and believe it or not, guys, this is West Virginia's 10th season in the Big 12 Conference. It's gone by wow. that quickly. That blow your mind how fast that went. It's a decade already. So I've had the great opportunity through the years to work with some legendary guys um, from Don Nealon, uh, Rich Rodriguez, uh, Bill Stewart, Dana Holgerson most recently, obviously, and now uh, Neil Brown. Uh, if I had to bet Neil Brown as uh, like a, a, a stock market option, like I'm betting on all the options that I can get for future success. Um, I've never seen a guy dot I's and cross T's and have the complete full understanding of the whole picture. I think he's the new age coach. And I, I think that it's going to be very positive in the future. Now, specifically to your question, is this the year that West Virginia takes it over onto the other side. Um, I do think that they'll be better than they were a year ago. How does that equate to wins and losses on the field? As you said, they finished up six and four last year. They were able to win uh, their bowl game to take them to that point. So how much better can they become is the big question. And you indicated at that quarterback spot. I do think that Jared Deggy, who started all 10 games a year ago, will continue to be that starting quarterback. I, I do think there's an opportunity for Garrett Green, uh, who has a different style of play, much more of a perimeter attacking perimeter guy. I think there may be packages as the season progresses, but I, I think it's Deggie's job, and they'll sprinkle in Garrett Green as far as salt goes uh, just a little bit. So overall, I'm betting on the come, and I do think that they'll be better. Exactly, guys, how many W's that means, I'm not sure. Go ahead, Seth. Yeah, uh, Deggie, uh, 2,587 yards passing, 14 touchdowns, uh, only four picks in 374 attempts. Um, I, I think he's got great potential written all over him. Uh, I know they were victimized by drops, but you feel like this is the year they could turn him loose. Yeah, it's a great point. He was victimized by drops. And, you know, people that follow the Big 12, and you guys know this, I mean, he comes from a great football background, right? His brother was Seth Deggie. And there, there's a little Texas little Texas connection here. Not only did Seth play uh, at Texas Tech, but in West Virginia's very first year in the Big 12, you guys will remember this, we come to Austin and we're strutting, right? We got Geno Smith and Tavon Austin and Stebbin <laughs> Bailey. And in our very first game against the Longhorns as Big 12 members, we go in there and win. And so we high-stepped out of Austin. And we thought, hey, we got this Big 12 thing figured out. Yeah, <laughs> we got this. <laughs> the that, was a classic. Week, that was a classic. It was a game, wasn't it? That was like 48-45, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. It was a fantastic football game. And then the very next week, we go back out on the road and we go to Lubbock. And at that time, they were not like, okay, you just beat Texas. You'll be fine at Texas Tech. Well, guess what? <laughs> Believe it or not, the wind's blowing a little bit in Lubbock. It got into, Go Geno, Smith. It got into Geno Smith's head. And Seth Deggy, Jared's brother, was the quarterback. And <laughs> Neil Brown was the offensive coordinator at Texas wow. Tech. Wow. And so they cut West Virginia up bad. And it left a scar that that team never, ever recovered from. They ended up going to the pinstripe bowl, and it was just a meh type of a season when it started off so great. I mean, we were five in the country coming to, after that victory against uh, Texas. So here we go now. Ten years later, 
Neil Brown's the head coach at West Virginia. Jared <laughs> Deggie's the quarterback at West Virginia. How much better can he be? You're exactly right, Cedric. The receivers let him down at such a high level last year. And not to be funny, bud, but I would say this about that. All but 30 catches from that receiving core return this season. And again, not to be funny, but they can't be worse. And not that they were horrifically bad. It wasn't constant, but there were some absolutely key drops. So my bet is that overall, they will be better than they were a year ago. Yeah, there's, there's just a whole lot to unpack there. I, as you know, I'm a huge Neil Brown fan. I think he's just a hell of a coach. I think his career record now is, what, 11-11, mm-hmm. which right. is the most misleading record you can possibly have. I, I would imagine Morgantown, people are just really excited about this guy, and he seems like a guy that wants to be there, whereas Dana, you almost felt like he had one foot in, one foot out, you know, just was kind of waiting on the next gig, but – and you got to have a quarterback. And, and quite frankly, to me, uh, Neil Brown was the guy that Texas Tech let get away. That's the guy they should have hired, but he was working for a coach that they didn't particularly care for. So uh, the offense is sure coming. I agree with you. I mean, Jared was like, wasn't he number two behind Spencer Rattler uh, last yes. year? I mean, yeah. so uh, I, I'm impressed too. I, I agree with you, Sid. I think uh, – the fact that he is coming, I think, and, and if Winston Wright and and Wheaton and uh, Sam James and some of those get a little more clutch there, I think it's it's a go. I mean, how about Letty Brown? Letty Brown, I don't know, as, as good as he was, and I think he averaged over 100 yards a game right behind Brees Hall, but I don't know if he's not the biggest secret in college football as far as the stud running back. Do you agree, Tony? I do agree with you because he had become kind of an enigmatic guy the, the previous season, and people just kind of said, what is it? And I think the, the, the staff at WVU and Chad Scott is the running backs coach. They did a really good job with him in the offseason as well as they could during the COVID situation to sell him on the concept of just improving some fundamental things. And it's, it's, it's kind of simple stuff, as, as you guys know, but it's being more of a downhill runner. It's being more aggressive on first contact. And what they really did, if you take a look at his numbers, they've turned him into a player that not only is an option when it comes to the passing game, but he is a strength uh, when it comes to the passing game. You know, he had 30-plus catches a year ago out of the backfield. He did everything that he had to do. And I do think you're probably right that he's still flying under the radar um, and he could have uh, a big impact on this football team's success because, as you guys we just said, you know, you're not exactly sure what you're going to get the receiving position, but you can make a much stronger case that this offensive line is going to be better than it was a year ago. We had a key addition in the transfer portal, right. a young guy by the name of Doug Nestor, who started two years at Virginia Tech. Doug is a West Virginia native. He comes back home. He solidifies that offensive line. So I think if you ask Neil, he he still has maybe a one or two positions on that offensive line that if he just had to tweak it up a hair, he would. But I do think the O-line will become the signature of this team. And then from there, maybe take a little bit of that stress away from the passing game. Wow, that is impressive. I know they got, you know, Zach Frazier, their freshman All-American last year, versatile guy, can buy play center or guard. But I remember talking to Neil last fall when I think said and I had him on the podcast. And he, he really did. He felt like he was a year away in the offensive line, if not a little longer, to get that depth that you need. So it's interesting that you say that could be the signature of the team. So yeah, they're looking for big improvement in the offensive line, right? 
Yeah, and if you would talk to those guys, whether it be on record or off record, they would tell you when they got here that the offensive line was an absolute shambles. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they shuddered. Now, interesting note, I mentioned Doug Nestor. He comes from a high school here in West Virginia called Spring Valley High School. They are producing players, big offensive linemen, at a really big-time rate. We've got an hmm. incoming true freshman by the name of Wyatt Milam. He was a national recruit. I mean, this is, uh, on paper, this would be Neil's biggest signing since he's been here. He signed him in the period. He'll come in as a true freshman. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Wyatt Milam could start, and I know as crazy as that sounds, he could start on the offensive line or get significant playing time by the time the leaves start changing and falling off the tree October-ish. You hmm. might see a kid named Wyatt Milam come in as a tackle, and he could be a starter. Uh, this Spring Valley, guys, um, we've got Nestor now. We've got Milam. We've got other kids from that program. We've got another one that's already signed that will be in this upcoming recruiting class. They power run. Uh, they'll throw it about four times a game, and it might be in pregame warmups. So these guys, <laughs> can really, they can really, really run block. And so keep an eye out on that. But the Spring Valley High School connection for, for Neil has been really, really good. The Steels boys have been a strength on defense. Uh, Dante is back, all-conference in 2019. Um, I'm hearing a lot about this freshman, uh, All-American, Akeem Mesidora. How was his spring, and uh, what do you think his, his upside is going to be moving forward? So huge upside. You mentioned Dante Stills. His brother Darius was player of the year, Big 12 Conference, and he's now making trying to make his grade uh, with the Raiders organization. I, I could see Mesidor move inside and take over that spot where Darius Stills had played. He's a super interesting story. Canadian kid uh, who played his high school football here in the United States at one of those you know, schools down in Florida to raise his pedigree. When Neil first got here, this is how badly he wanted him. They identified him. West Virginia had a home football game on a Saturday, of course. And Neil, as you guys know how tight it is, on a Friday night before a home game, he took a quick flight out of Morgantown, went over to watch this kid uh, play because his team was playing in Cincinnati. It's that badly that they wanted him. They got him, and he was as good as advertised. As you said, he became a freshman All-American. They think he's a pro. And so I think that he could have a very, very important role on this football team. He needs to have an important role on this football team this season. Well, they, they really think the lines could be a strength of this team, right? I mean, yes, how much do. depth do they have there? And, you know, what do you think of, of uh, Syke Simmons? He was a retro freshman, right? Yep, that's so, correct. So who else, he, who else he got in there? And, and, and like you say, that they've had good defensive lines. So that could be a real strength. So some of the names um, that you're going to hear, you're going to hear about a kid named Jordan Jefferson. I thought that he was impressive and took a step up. Obviously, um, Dante Stills will be a key member of that defensive line. The Stills brothers, um, you know, have been fantastic. And it's kind of an interesting story. As you said, their dad played. Gary Stills played here, played in the league for a decade. They're 20, mm -hmm. 25 miles away from here. So to have that ability, that just doesn't happen. It's not like Austin where you got some of those kids coming out of some of those massive high schools. The kids, When a kid comes from Fairmont Senior High School, I don't know how to put it into terms of how you guys could understand it. I mean, we're talking small, not even the largest classification of a high school in West Virginia. To get two guys from Fairmont to come into this program and to be as good as they have been has been huge. Another guy we had, a, speaking of a legacy, we talked about Gary Stills. John Thornton 
was a standout defensive lineman for West Virginia uh, back in the Don Nealon era. He went on to play more than a decade in the NFL. We have his son, Jalen Thornton, who uh, is still in the freshman status. Uh, I think that he could have a big-time role in this football program. So overall, I think internally as a staff, these guys um, feel good where that defensive line is going to be. You look at look on that back end and the secondary, um, West Virginia only gave up 11 touchdown passes all season, and that's tied, tied for the best in the Big 12 with Iowa State. Uh, they, they lose uh, cornerback Deshaun Miller. Um, Tyke Smith was an yeah, All-American, um, but he's gone. Here, here comes Scotty Young from Arizona, a grad transfer. And I read where they were giddy to get Scotty Young, a three-year starter. What kind of spring did he have? Fantastic. So, as you said, he transferred in from Arizona. Last year, he red shirts, sits out. You remember Tony Fields, who was uh, the leading tackler on this Mountaineer team. So they were teammates. It was kind of an Arizona package that came in. Right. They are, they're, they're thrilled. Uh, Scotty Young played in the bowl game. He was able to play in that one game and you could kind of see that he's going to be explosive. Then he's going to have pop in a perfect world. Tyke Smith would have stayed. He didn't, uh, he transfers out. So they do th- in, in a perfect world, both of those guys are there and you're going like, wow, you got a little something special. They do hope that Scotty Young can come in there and fill that spot that Tyke Smith held. So instantaneously, um, they feel good about that spot. Not as good as if Tyke were here, but they feel it's not going to be a huge step back. The other side of it, you mentioned Dre Sean Miller, uh, who was a starter, also left via the transfer portal. Uh, West Virginia, again, you don't want to lose those guys, but they feel that they've got guys in position. Nick Troy Fortune, who's still young, started all 10 games last season. Uh, very effective player. Uh, I think that he's got an opportunity to be a really solid Big 12 Conference cornerback. Um, another guy uh, that you'll see in the mix is Jackie Matthews. He came in as a transfer into the program. Now he's going to be a redshirt senior. It's just his turn. And so it's not that they're going into this guys where they're going like, oh my gosh, what are we going to get into? They feel it's development. You would have, you would have loved to have those other two guys stick around. Uh, but I think that by, based on how you, you talk to those guys, they feel that they're going to be okay there. Where did Miller and Smith uh, end up? Tyke he went to Georgia. Tyke Georgia. went to Georgia. So Jamile Adai, who was the position coach back there last year, went to Georgia. And uh, so that's that's kind of add that, that up. That's kind of <laughs> how that whole deal ended up. You guys know. I mean, this it happens. Is, it happens. And for us that have followed this stuff for a number of years, it is still kind of wild. Um, this transfer <laughs> portal deal where, you know, you lose a player and you say, oh my gosh, um, how can that happen? How can they immediately be eligible? Why would they leave? But you know, if you're not aggressively attacking the transfer portal market, then you're going to be in trouble. You know what you lose and you win. Like for example, right. last year we've won and collectively, if you speak as West Virginia, West Virginia has benefited more from the portal than they've lost from the portal. If you had to do a net gain, uh, we've had players going all the way back uh, to a young guy by the name of Ryan Mundy, who came into our program as a grad transfer and became a starter and then went on to the NFL. Uh, Tony Fields, as I said, last year, he comes in and just as an instantaneous player. So Arizona's loss, West Virginia's gain this year, Tyke Smith this year. They're hoping that Scotty Young is that guy. It's the new world, like it or not. 
Um, I, I think that Doug Nestor, right? We take a guy, a two-year starter from Virginia Tech, immediately he's going to become a starting guy. So it's the new world. Not sure I like it, but it is what it is. And so you just kind of try to you just try to hope to be better with your pluses than your minuses. I think I don't know. We were what did we have said? Was it K State? They were like 16 new transfers coming in. I mean, I don't know what Brave the new world. is. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the count is at West Virginia since last year as far as incoming and outcoming on the transfers. Is, is it a high number, Tony? I, I think I saw Kirk, um, I saw a, a grouping. I think we were like third most ish third most in the big 12 conference this past season i think it was so um you know probably more but again keep this guys in mind that last year because of covid really took away from neil's opportunity and his ability in the offseason to do his chemistry building his first year they were changing the culture within this program like any coaching staff would they did a ton of things together in the summer tons of building things that never happened, obviously, because of COVID last year. Right. And so I wonder out loud if that opportunity had happened, if you would have had better relationships with some of those kids that did leave, that Good they point. just didn't fully have that embracing opportunity with their guys. So, you know, if it continues, you know, year three, four, five, then I think maybe you go, well, wait a second. But to me, what's happened is you're still doing that clearing out process that happens when new staffs come in and it probably got elongated by a year because of COVID. Right. I don't know. Uh, you know, the inter- they're always entertaining games when Texas plays West Virginia, you know, and I love coming up to uh, Morgantown because the passionate fan base, I just love that. And there's some quirky stuff too. Sam Alliger, you know, getting intercepted, throwing on the back and they and have a pick six and, I think uh, uh, Cosme scored a touchdown, an offensive tackle, just weird stuff. And that continued last year. I, yeah. The, the enduring memory I have last year, said, I don't know about you, but I remember there were like four or five red zone trips, and I and and Neil went for it every time. I think he ended up with two field goals. But that was kind of the difference in that game, wasn't it, Tony? It was. You make good points because Mountaineer fans look back at those games and everyone wants to be the 2020 hindsight quarterback, right? And they'll <laughs> go like, wait a second, if he just would have done, you know. Of course. I think he went into it and he does a good job of explaining his his mindset. You know, he knew he needed points. And right. that was the game. You're right. Our, our inability to score inside the red zone uh, took away the opportunity to win that game. Um, but he, he, um, you know, two seasons in with him, I mean, he's going to be aggressive, but he also is a very, very big believer and a student of the, anal- the analytics of the game. And so he will do some things um, that maybe goes against the conventional wisdom. He's a numbers guy, as I said when we first started chatting here, that he's of that new age variety, and he is going to push the numbers and as you guys know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But I think that's going to be his his mode of operation is that he's going to be in an attack mode. I, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys, you guys seen him. I mean, you've seen how he as a coordinator at Tech when he was at Kentucky and then in his teams at Troy, he's going to push the envelope. And it's just a matter of time before I think a lot of people go back and start scratching their head and say, you know what? This guy gets it. He's pretty good. Well, it's going to be a blast. The Mountaineers start the season at Maryland. And uh, if, you're te- if you're a Texas Uh-oh. fan, that's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. 
we're, we're sure the Mountaineers going to take care of business at that dump that's FedEx field. But oh, is. the Longhorns never want to go back there. That's all I'm going to say about that subject. Yeah, you, you guys, I know you guys have had your challenges with the Terps. So obviously, before we joined the league, that was a regular team that we would play on an annual basis. That was right. a great, great rivalry because, you know, here in West Virginia, that was always the bellwether game. If West Virginia beat Maryland, the numbers went to this high, high percentage they were going to go to a bowl game that year. This starts back from the Don Nealon era when Bobby Ross was the coach of Maryland. So we've had great battles with those guys. It has been off for a number of years, um, but this is good. So, yeah, we look forward uh, to going there to their place and getting that game. And then uh, we've got a, a, an LIU team. Long Island comes in here second week, and then we go Virginia Tech here in Morgantown. So we're having the opportunity to play two teams this season non-conference that we had annual battles with through the nice. years. So people are looking forward to that. And you're playing Long Island. I guess you're serving Long Island tea in the press box there. I, I know would have, yeah, full, like, full Long have, Island. Here's what's well, weird, man. They played this spring. Uh, oh, like, yeah. They played this spring. One day this spring, like I happened to be on a Saturday, I was like looking down at the ESPN <laughs> scores, and I'm going like, oh, come on, Long Island's playing right now. We <laughs> in West Virginia plays them in September. So they played spring. And those well, guys will be here this this year. They play a full season in the spring? I don't know how many they yeah. played. I, I would no. doubt they played a full, but they played games in the spring. Yeah, I'm looking at your home schedule. Listen to this, Sid. They have home games against Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. That's a friendly home schedule, I would think. If you're going to play those, those are, you know, for sure three contenders. And Tech has vastly improved, especially on defense, but – I'm sure Neil's got to like that that schedule. I would think that Neil, of all those four you just mentioned there, that Neil has got a burr in his saddle about Texas Tech. Uh, his first <laughs> two swipes, his first two swipes at the Red Raiders have not gone well. Uh, year number one, West Virginia, for whatever reason, just was not ready to play that game. Texas that Tech was to Morgantown, they yeah. jumped them, and yeah. and that that left him sour. And then last year, we had a turnover in that game that just leaves you shaking your head that was another one that was there uh for the taking so uh, of all those games uh texas tech i would think is one that west virginia you know to have a season needs to have that it needs to get that type of game yeah exactly man this has been fun and we could talk another hour i know you're a busy guy and, and you got to go but uh, this has been a thrill for us tony we really appreciate you well, dropping some knowledge on us it's my pleasure, guys. Really is, and I look forward to getting the world back to normal here. I'm sure I'll run into you guys. Uh, Big Twelve Media Day, which is coming up, so it's it's my pleasure and a great opportunity to chat with you guys. Well, we will, we'll we will, yeah, we'll see you in Big D. Let's do this again during the season. You got a deal. All right. Thanks, Tony. Take, Take care, care, Tony. Bye bye. Duck, great podcast today. All over the Texas Longhorns, still alive in Omaha, all over West Virginia. Football with Tony Caridi. That's going to do it for episode 227 of On Second Thought. We will get with you next time. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.